everyone. This is Allison Bossert, scavenger and host of Thrifty Times Podcast, a show for anyone interested in finding bargains for as little as a dollar and flipping them for profit. It's about upcycling, recycling, repurposing, and finding unique ways to make and save money. Thrifty Times, call for thrifty measures. Today on episode 11, I'm talking about antique stoves and how their value holds up even after 70 years or more. I'll also be answering listener questions about thrifting, sales tax, and what I like to keep. But first, let me tell you about this week's find. Really, things I found around my place. A few days ago, I had a real estate photographer come take pictures for my condo listing. One thing that I realized is that I still have a bunch of crap that I need to get rid of. How can I talk about Swedish death cleaning or letting go of things when I still feel that I have way too much stuff for just one person? I spent part of the weekend deleting things so when the pictures were taken, my place would look uncluttered, not filled with all the tchotchkes it usually has. So I ended up filling two large plastic bins and a large box with stuff. Those boxes were moved into the hallway while the pictures were taken. Today, I started pulling things out of the boxes and listing them on eBay. I also began looking around at things in my condo and asking myself if I wanted to move certain items all the way across the country. I saw my Blu-ray DVD player that's been hooked up to my TV for years, but I never use it. Who watches DVDs anymore? Not only did I have the remote, but I also had the HDMI cable and the instruction manual. Including as many features as possible also increases its value when selling it. People don't want to search for a remote control or cables to buy separately. Later, I opened a drawer and found a Bluetooth wireless speaker for an iPod I'd hidden while reducing clutter. The DVD player and the speaker were both posted on eBay very quickly. As soon as you get an inkling that you'll be moving, whether it's near or far, lightening the load is very important. You don't want to unpack only to ask yourself, why the hell did I take this with me? Now let's dive into the treasure chest. They don't make them like they used to is so true when it comes to appliances, especially old stoves. Inside one of my first apartments in Santa Monica was a very large white O'Keefe and Merritt stove, which had four burners and a griddle down the center. It was a beauty and a workhorse. It was from the 1950s and in the 10 years I lived there, I never had a problem with it except for a few times when I just had to relight the pilot. My love and adoration for old stoves began while cooking on that O'Keefe and Merritt. Fast forward a few years after living in another apartment with just an unimpressive stovetop, I finally was able to buy my own condo. It was bank owned and needed a lot of work. The kitchen was a hodgepodge of different cabinetry, an electric stove, and no dishwasher or fridge inside a small recessed space that would be considered a galley kitchen. During the inspection, while in escrow, the inspector said that there was no gas line and I'd only be able to get an electric stove. I was so disappointed. The electric stove that was there was so boring. A few weeks later, when a contractor came to discuss renovations, he pointed out that the kitchen is supposed to be laid out in a triangle, meaning the sink, stove, and fridge are placed in such a way as to make it easier for you to do your cooking. He said the stove wouldn't be at the end of the kitchen where it was located. It should have been across from the sink. He pointed to some cabinetry and said that's where it would have gone. I opened the lower cabinet and immediately smelled the faint whiff of gas, 
along with seeing some dead bugs that had not survived the fumes. I was so excited to know that there was a gas line so I could get the stove of my dreams. My contractor also had a vintage stove and told me about a place on the other side of Los Angeles that sells refurbished appliances. Echo Park Appliance was filled with refrigerators, ovens, stoves, washers, dryers, and other machines spanning a large part of the 20th century, from the 1930s up to the 70s. While I saw many pea green and tangerine refrigerators, there was a very small selection of only about five stoves from the 1950s. My intention was to buy an O'Keefe and Merritt with the griddle down the middle and one big oven just like I had in Santa Monica. And there was one sitting pretty in the middle of the showroom. I loved it and was about to buy it when I took a step back and noticed the regal beauty at the end of the line. It was a Wedgwood stove with six burners, two ovens, and two broilers. The range came with the original salt and pepper shakers that are housed on either side of the clock. It also had the fold-down top which provides extra counter space. I was smitten. I started thinking about dinner parties, Thanksgiving and Easter celebrations, two ovens and six burners. Now that's a game changer. The store associate estimated that the Wedgwood was from the early 1950s. I bought it and scheduled the delivery. Over the last 10 years, this stove has been the centerpiece of my kitchen. Whenever people first visit my place, they always notice the Wedgwood. In January of this year, the left oven stopped working. I started thinking about replacing the stove with something new, but it's virtually impossible to find a 40-inch wide stove nowadays. I did find an Italian stove that would fit the area, but that was over $4,000. Maybe I could sell my stove and put that money towards a new one, I thought. I started calling around to antique stove dealers and even posted on eBay, OfferUp, and Craigslist. The last store I called turned into a conversation with one of the foremost authorities on antique stoves in Los Angeles, if not the country. David Aiken of Aiken's Furniture and 40s and 50s Stoves has been selling and servicing these kitchen workhorses since his parents opened the store in 1960 when he was just 18 years old. We chatted about the issue with the left oven, and I told him I was also thinking about selling the range. Our conversation turned into us extolling our mutual love for the antique stoves. He was the only salesman I've ever met who talked me into keeping it instead of buying a new one. He also knew what needed to be fixed, and we scheduled a time for the repair. David drove up in a 1960s flatbed Volkswagen bus. The color was red at least at one time in its history. Now it had that weathered appearance from sun, salt, and time, which gave it a more matte appearance. He grabbed his toolkit and began working on the stove. As I mentioned, he knew what the Wedgwood needed over the phone, and he sat on my kitchen floor fabricating the part. At 78, he's still working and doing something that he loves. He told me that the stove was from 1948 or 49, and that I was lucky to have so many pieces, including the clock, light, and salt and pepper shakers. As technology changed into the 60s and 70s, the clock piece was seen as old, so he said, we threw that part away to give it a little bit more of a modern appearance. He told me that these stoves have very few parts and were built to last. In the late 60s into the 1970s, manufacturers realized they could make more from consumers if appliances were created to eventually need repair and new parts. That's when the appliance repairmen, service contracts, and parts replacement truly came into being, and we, unfortunately, became a disposable society. 
David said that my Wedgwood stove probably has another 75 years left in it. I feel like I don't own the stove, but I'm just its caretaker for now. I hope that the next owner loves and appreciates it as much as I have. And I hope there are people like David Aikens out there who will pass on their vast knowledge and love for these timeless, vintage, beautiful stoves. Now let's answer some listener questions. Sophie, who last week recorded a Swedish word for me on episode 10, sent me an email asking if I would answer her questions about thrifting. Of course! Here's what she asked. Why do I have to pay sales tax in a thrift store? It's already been paid once before. I couldn't agree more, but it depends on the store that you're shopping in. According to Cora.com, California does provide an exemption for certain goods purchased at thrift stores, and similar laws exist in other states as well. The reason that Goodwill doesn't collect sales tax while many other thrift stores do is that not all thrift stores are really thrift stores. While thrift store just means used clothing shop to the average person, the concept has a very narrow definition for tax purposes. Goodwill is a not-for-profit organization that sells donated goods and uses the proceeds to fund certain charitable services. Many other thrift stores are actually for-profit enterprises that buy the clothing they sell from individuals or nonprofit organizations. So it all depends on the thrift store you're shopping at and the state you're shopping in. Next question. How often do you keep something you were originally bought intending to resell it? Well, lately it's been too often. We all buy what we like, don't we? I believe that if I do bring something in that I've decided to keep, then I have to sell or donate something. Otherwise, it would become too crowded in here, and I never want to become a hoarder. Last question. How do you feel about something old that's in otherwise great condition? Let's say a dresser, for example, but it's been repainted in a flashy color. How are you able to tell if the color can be stripped off without damaging the original? That's a good question. Sometimes it's hard to see beyond the garish color choice. I did see a piece recently at St. Vincent de Paul Thrift Store where a large dresser was painted mostly white, but the front lower left corner, angling all the way up to the upper right corner, was painted a bright royal blue with a gold wave crest across the top. It was just awful. I could see the bones were good, so someone could refinish it, but Lord, it was a bad piece of news. Now, I did consult my furniture expert, Shelley Denning, whom I interviewed on episode six, to further answer this question, and she wrote the following. Hmm, tough one. The new paint stripping chemicals are so non-toxic that if used according to the manufacturer's directions, she thinks the paint can be stripped off the varnish without doing much damage to the original finish. If the existing paint is done with latex and not oil, then it would be that much easier as the latex paint is easier to strip off. Most varnishes that were done prior to 1980 were done with oil or shellac. It's harder for the new paint stripping chemicals to penetrate that. When she strips an old piece of furniture, it usually takes several applications of the chemical to get down to the raw wood. Shelley likes to apply the chemical, wait a few hours, and when it's still wet, uses a good, thin, flexible putty knife to gingerly lift the paint, being careful not to gouge the surface with the knife. She writes, I'm a paint geek, so I file the putty knife to make it sharper 
and I round the sides of the edge of the knife so it will be less likely to gouge wood. Sounds like a fine weapon too, Shelley. She then uses zero-zero grade steel wool to remove residual chemicals and then wipes it off with soap and water. If the original finish is in good condition, it can be sanded lightly with 400 grit sandpaper and apply a wax finish to polish it up. If the original finish is looking shabby, Shelley would sand with 220 grit paper and put a fresh coat of varnish on it. If the original is looking really shabby, she would sand with 150 grit paper, restain using Duracell stain, and then apply a couple coats of oil polyurethane. Damn, she knows her stuff. Shelley uses Smart Strip from Dumont, which is safe and effective and earth-friendly too. Thank you, Shelley Denning. I want to take a moment to wish all my U.S. listeners a very happy and healthy Thanksgiving. And for all of my international listeners, please stay safe and well. That's all for Thrifty Times Podcast this week. Send me your questions and comments to allison at thriftytimespodcast.com. That's Allison with one L because two L's are a waste. A-L-I-S-O-N. I would love to hear from you. You can check out some of the items I spoke about today on Thrifty Times Podcast Instagram page. Until next time, stay thrifty and keep digging for treasure.